you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to First uh, Peter chapter one. That's where we'll be together this morning. Um, I, I feel like I need to lay out a disclaimer. It's like it's the most wonderful time of the year in one sense because it's getting warm and trees are blooming and all that. On the other hand, it's allergy season. And so I feel like I need a t-shirt that says, it's just allergies, I promise. Um, anyways, First Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at the first nine verses here in just a moment. Um, as we've kind of already pointed out this morning, it's Palm Sunday. Uh, and then again, next weekend will be Easter Sunday. You guys are going to invite a friend. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have a good time together. Uh, but, but really what is interesting to me is that week in between, so you got Palm Sunday, the Sunday of celebration. You've got Easter Sunday, an even bigger Sunday of uh, celebration. But what happens in the middle, so in between these two bookends of, of celebration and excitement, is really a week marked by suffering. Okay? I mean, if you look, you kind of read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and look at their account of, like, if you start from, from this triumphal entry and you follow that through the week, especially as you get later in the week, what you find is, like, for Jesus, that week was largely a week of suffering. So just uh, some, some, a few high points I wrote down. He's conspired against right, by his, uh, his friends, his disciples, and some of the religious leaders. Uh, you get this glimpse of him agonizing in the garden. Right? We, we read that he's praying for, uh, I mean, for God's cup, like the, the wrath to be passed over him if, pof, if possible, but ultimately he submits to God's will for his life. Um, you got him being betrayed. Right, by uh, Judas, who he invested the last three years of his life in. You've got him uh, arrested in the garden. You've got him being beaten and mocked, uh, spit on. Okay, you've got him being denied by, by Peter, who we're about to read his letter. You've got him being denied, rejected by uh, some of his closest friends. And then ultimately, you've, you've got Jesus being crucified on uh, what we refer to as Good Friday. Right, so it's a week Though there's celebration now, and we're going to celebrate like crazy next Sunday, in the middle, what you've got is just a week largely marked by pain and suffering and tragedy and loss. Right? The week ends on Saturday with Jesus in the tomb. And it's the next week, next Sunday, that then the celebration returns. So, so the week largely marked by suffering. And here's the reason I say all that is because, one, I, I think it's good for us to get that mindset as we look to this week uh, ahead, but also we're in our Faith Is series, and so we sat down, I don't know, several weeks ago and talked about here are some of the topics we want to cover in our series on uh, Faith Is, and, and if you haven't been here, we've just been in a series called Faith Is, looking at what does faith look like at a really practical ground level, right, trying to take it out of the ethereal and like everyday faith, what does it look like? And so we sat down several weeks ago and said, here's some of the topics we want to cover. And one of those topics was suffering. And we didn't plan for it to fall this week. Like we didn't sit down and be like, all right, the week of where Jesus suffered, let's do suffering. But that's I mean, in the Lord's providence. That's just how it landed. And so um, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Right? It's just how does faith, how does faith relate to suffering? Okay, so with that said, I'm typically long-winded anyways. I'm going to try not to be. So let's get right to it this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, to give a little context before we dive in, uh, this is a letter written by Peter, uh, written to 
uh, a group of um, people we're going to read about here in just a minute. And uh, one of the things that's interesting is he's writing, context, he's, he's writing to kind of reassure and to um, uh, encourage the, these believers in seasons that like persecution is beginning to happen. Okay, they're not in like the, the worst of it yet, but uh, uh, I'm going to here just, I'm going to say Paul at some point this morning and mean Peter. So just know that. Okay, so I almost did it right then. It's going to happen. Just you're with me. Okay, um, so Peter is writing from Rome. And Rome at this time is under uh, the rule of Nero. And if you know anything about Nero and his, how he related to Christians, uh, it, was, like, it was not good to be a Christian under uh, Nero's reign in Rome. Right? There's young people in the room, so we'll keep it like that. All right? It was a difficult time to be a Christian under Emperor Nero. And so uh, Peter knows this is coming. He's writing to these other churches in, uh, throughout Asia, and he's saying, hey, um, suffering is coming, right? persecution is coming, you need to be prepared in advance. Right? That's kind of the context of, of the letter. And I think it's a good letter for us today because um, while our circumstances are different than theirs, like at some point we're all going to experience suffering. Right? That may look like a lot of different things. It may mean... Uh, like it may mean loss, like maybe you experienced some great loss in your life. Many of us already have. Uh, it could be uh, maybe some sort of diagnosis, right? Health-related things, terminal diagnosis. It could be um, it could be just broken relationships, like family relationships that are just just hard and difficult. Uh, it, it could be any number of physical, mental, emotional, fill in the blanks. Right? We're all going to experience. Suffering at some point. You're all encouraged this morning, right? Uh, <laughs> but it's just true. We live in a fallen world, right, with other fallen people. Like suffering is, it's not a matter of, uh, of if we'll suffer, but it's a matter of when. Like we're going to experience suffering at some point. And what Peter's writing for, for his audience, and I think is for us today, is, is it's good to be prepared before it hits. It's good to be encouraged and strengthened before we find ourselves in the middle of it. Okay, so, um, and some of you guys have, have already experienced suffering. Some of you guys are in the middle of it right now. And then some of you, like, I feel spoiled. Some of you are like me, like, you just haven't, maybe you haven't experienced a lot up to this point in your life. The Lord has been gracious and spared you from much suffering. But the point is still the same. It's coming at some point. And, and what the goal is this morning is I, I hope you leave encouraged, uh, prepared for whenever that day comes for you. Okay, so with that said, 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read the first nine verses. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so I got four points from our text. We're just kind of walk through the text again is all we're going to do. But I want to really draw our attention to four things as it relates to uh, suffering and persecution and hardships and difficulties, right? All this under the heading of, of suffering, right? The first thing is this. There is security in our identity, right? There is security in our identity. And so Peter begins the letter, and he begins and he identifies himself, right? He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, which means that he, basically he was there with Jesus, he walked with Jesus. He ministered with Jesus. He saw Jesus healing people and performing miracles. Uh, Jesus was there when uh, the, the transfiguration, like Jesus was a part of, or Peter was a part of Jesus's inner three. Right? He was, he's there with Jesus. And as significant as that is, what's interesting is Peter spends more time actually identifying the recipients of his letter instead of himself. Which, if you think about it, is strange, right? Like, if I went home today and I pop open my mailbox and I've got a letter there that says, you know, from Dave to Jonas, follower of Jesus, husband to Kelly, father of four, lover of the Kentucky Wildcats, gummy bear connoisseur, okay? I, these are just things that are true about me, okay? So... Like, I would read that and be like, well, that's weird. Why did he spend all this time just talking about who I am? I know who I am, right? But, but what he's actually doing here is he's not, he's not telling them things they don't know, right? He's, what he's doing is he's reminding them of who they are because there's security in their identity, right? He, he says that they are uh, elect exiles, right? They, though they are dispersed, they're kind of spread out all over the area, like they're still, they're still God's chosen people, right? And so um, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, what's important to note is like Peter's writing to primarily a Gentile audience. And so these would have been men and women that up until Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again, like Gentiles were considered to be other than, right? They were cut off. Like, if you weren't Jewish, you were kind of looked down upon by the Jewish people, right? So what uh, they were considered other than, on the outside, looking in. And then Jesus comes, right? And, and he doesn't just, it's, he's not just the Savior of the Jewish people, though he, he is, but he's the Savior of the world. And so now Gentiles are brought into this. And so Peter's writing to these Gentile believers that, that were once far off, but have now they've been brought near. And he's writing them and he's saying, hey, Though you were once far off, though you were once on the outside looking in, now you are, you are elect exiles. You are God's chosen people. 
You have all the rights, the benefits uh, that come from being a part of the household of God, of his chosen family. It's not just Israel, it's the world. And you're in on this. And the reason that he's saying that is because in those moments where you're in those moments where, where, like where you're in the, the middle of suffering, isn't it easy to be like, God, what are you doing? Why am I experiencing this? And, and those can quickly turn to doubts about, God, are you, are you turning your back on me? Have you forsaken me? Do you care about me? Do you love me? Why this? And then, what he's reminding the readers of is like, this, this is who you are. He goes on later in the book and he says this. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Referring to his, his, his recipients, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. In verse 10 he says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but, you have, but now you have received mercy. In those moments when they are in the depths of suffering and they're tempted to doubt who God is for them, does God love them, does God care for them, does God know them, what he's doing is he's reminding them of their identity because of what Jesus has done for them. In their deepest suffering, and this is true for us too, in our deepest suffering, it is good for us to be reminded of who we are. More importantly, whose we are, right? There's security in our identity. Right, so here's, here's the second thing. So there's security in our identity. The second thing is this. There is hope in our future. Right, verses 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So, fun fact, um, I used to drive race cars. And I don't mean like, like Honda Civic, like on the bypass race cars. I mean, like, legit, like, had the numbers on the side and all the stickers and sponsors all over them, and I had the fireproof suit and helmet, all that cool stuff. Story for another day. We don't have time for it this morning. Um, but anyways, one of the things that I was taught pretty early on in my career, racing career, if you can call it that, um, is they used to tell us, don't drive off of the hood pin. Okay, now, if that may mean nothing to you. I'm going to try to explain it. The hood pin, like so on a car, you've race car, you've got these little pins in the front. They're hood pins that keep the hood from flying up and covering the windshield like in the movie Tommy Boy. I'm not commending that movie to you, but if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. And so um, the hood pins, like what happens is it would be easy. It could be easy to just focus on like where you are. I mean, because you're driving at a high rate of speed, right? Inches away from other cars in the wall. And so you just, right, just grip and you're panicked. And the what they would teach us is don't drive off the hood pin. Don't just drive where you are. Look to where you're going. Okay, because the point, contrary to popular belief, there is more to driving a race car than going fast and turning left. And so, 
part of that was you had to look at where you were going to be. Right? If you weren't looking ahead, you wouldn't know how to navigate uh, the cars that were ahead of you. I never had cars ahead of me. I was always in front. But <laughs> I just lied in church. Um, so anyways, back to the story. You had to look to where the cars were ahead of you, right? So that you knew kind of where you could pass them to set yourself up. Or you'd have to know where are the braking points on the track. If you're just looking at your hood pin, you wouldn't know where those were. Because you'd be so focused on where you are, you don't know where you're going. And this is kind of illustration, maybe a stretch, okay? But this is kind of what Paul's doing here. He's, he's telling you, hey, don't just look at where you are now. Don't just drive off the hood pin, but look to where you're going. Because in the middle of suffering, in the middle of pain, in the middle of loss, in the middle of tragedy, like it's, it's easy to kind of, uh, to, what's the expression? You, you, you don't see the forest because of the trees, right? You get so caught up in it that we don't see, hey, there's more for us ahead, right? There's, there's a hope for our future, right? And that's what he's doing in verses 3 through 5. He's trying to take the focus off of like the, the temporary and, and make us look towards the eternal. Right? He says that and we've, uh, we've been born to a living hope. Right? That, that, listen, Jesus is living. And like we just saying, he's reigning. Right? Our hope is not in, I mean, and essentially it is in a past event, right? The, the death and resurrection of Jesus, but Jesus didn't stay dead. That's next week. Again, spoiler alert. Right? Jesus is alive, and he's reigning, and he's ruling, and he's in control, and he's in charge. And so our hope is not just, not just in the past, it's moving forward. Right? We have a future hope. But then he, he says uh, that we've been, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Like What we have ahead of us is unlike anything we've ever experienced here. Right? One of my favorite... Uh, podcast preachers, I guess is what I call them, uh, used to say that, that everything that you own is the stuff of future garage sales and landfills. It just is. And what we have here is, is Peter saying, hey, there's something that awaits you that doesn't fade, that doesn't perish, that doesn't, it's not, it won't go outdated. Right? It's eternal. It's being, I love this, it says it's being kept for you. Like it's being, it's being guarded. No one's going to take it. It's there waiting for you. It is your future hope. And then, I love this. I, this didn't even hit me in this passage until I was kind of reading some, some commentaries and stuff. Not only is the inheritance being kept for us, where it will not fade, it will not tarnish, it will not grow old. But verse 5, it says, who by God's power, he's talking about the recipients, but also about us, like, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. So not only is the inheritance being kept for us, we're being kept for that inheritance. Right? We're like in this sort of divine protective custody. Right? If you are in Christ, if you have trusted in Jesus, right, He is holding you and guarding you and keeping you for this inheritance that awaits you. So in those moments where suffering seems like, I'm never going to get out of this. Right? What what he's reminding us of is that it is, and he, he's calling us to look past the temporary and towards the eternal, towards an inheritance that awaits us, that will not grow old, 
that will not fade, that will not tarnish. All right, so we've got security in our identity. There's hope for our future. The third thing is this, is there is joy in our suffering, which just sounds like an oxymoron, right? There is joy in our suffering. Verses 6 and 7. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Rejoice in suffering. How? Because that's a lot easier said than done, right? Um, and, but what I think here is, um, he gives us a, a couple things. These are like sub-points. A couple things that, that he points out. First of all, he says, um, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while. Right? Our suffering, whatever it is on this earth, is temporary. Right? And, I mean, I'm even cautious saying that because, again, like I said before, I'm, I'm standing up here. The Lord has spared me from much suffering. Okay? For some of you, that's not the case. I know that. And so <laughs> part of me feels like the spoiled kid up here saying, like, it only lasts for a little while. Okay? But, but the reality, again, we're talking eternal time frames here. And in the grand scheme of things, our suffering is temporary. Right? We're, Peter's not minimizing our suffering. It's very real. He even uses the word, uh, he says that we've been grieved by various trials. So he's not minimizing suffering, but he is saying, like, hey, it's, it's temporary. Right? In comparison to this in, eternal inheritance that awaits you, right? your suffering is, it is temporary. This is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, I like the way that Paul writes it. I used his name right. I didn't say Peter then. This actually is Paul writing this. He says, uh, he says this in verse, chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, verse 8. It says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Jumps over in verse 16 and says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And I, I love the way that he, he writes it, verse 17. He says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are seen, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And this is written by the hand of Paul. Who, and if anybody experienced suffering, it's Paul. If you, if you don't know Paul's story, I mean, he's like shipwrecked multiple times. I think like after the second one, you're like, you know what? I'll just, I'll walk. I don't, I don't, I'll travel another way. Right? He's like, shipwrecked multiple times. He's uh, beaten, left for dead. Right? If anybody's experienced suffering, it's, it's Paul. And yet Paul is able to say after all this, hey, this this suffering, these trials, these tragedies, these afflictions, they are light and momentary compared to what will be revealed to us. That's good news. That's good news in the middle 
of suffering. All right, so one, suffering is temporary. But two, suffering strengthens our faith. Right? So, listen, God is intentional. Right? God is purposeful. God is sovereign. He has, like, plans for what he's doing. Uh, he, he doesn't... God is not a God who reacts to us, right? He initiates. He moves first. He works. He's got a plan. And so when it comes to suffering, like what, what we need, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to hear, but it's good for us to hear too, is that, is that, man, our suffering is not pointless. As hard as it may be, as much of a tragedy as it might be, God is doing something in it. Right? It's not meaningless. Right? And so what he says here is that really the, one of the points of suffering is that it tests the genuineness of our faith. Because right? let's be easy, or let's be real. I got ahead of myself. Faith is easy when things are going well. Right? Like isn't faith, it's kind of easy when like the bank account's full and a clean bill of health and Everybody's happy and content and the bills are paid, right? Like that's when, that's when faith is easy. But I mean, what, about when, what about when the doctor walks in and says, it's terminal, there's nothing more we can do? Right? What about when you get the phone call that flips your world upside down, drops you to your knees? Right? That's when faith really gets tested. Right? And, and I, I remember hearing once that... Uh, a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. That it's in those moments where, like we're, where we've really got to exercise some faith that we find out just how much, just how much faith we really have. Right? Here's, here's what suffering does. It, it strips us of all of our self-confidence, right? Like we're, we're naturally probably because we live in the Western world, we're just kind of a self-confident, self-sufficient sort of people, right? We've got, most of us got the things that we need to get by with. And it's in those moments where, and we experience suffering beyond what we can control, that we're reminded, hey, I'm not really in control at all. And, 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 that, will, and that will either draw us near to God in dependence or it will drive us away from Him in despair. Because suffering tests it strengthens our faith. It, like, and so, sometimes it's only when you've hit the bottom that you realize, hey, there's a rock there. And he's enough to sustain. I love what um, Charles Spurgeon, if you don't know who that is, he's a preacher from back uh, in the 19th century. And um, he dealt with, well-known, just a well-known preacher, um, had a just really eloquent way with words, the exact opposite of me. And so um, just had a way of phrasing things that were just incredible, right? But he, would, uh, he suffered like greatly from depression and anxiety, backstory we don't have time to get into. But this is what he said about this idea of, of, of what suffering and tragedy can do for us. He says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. That powerful and much more eloquent than I could ever say it. Right? Suffering strengthens our faith and it, it 
pushes us to the only one who can sustain us. Here's number four. There is assurance in our faith. So verses eight and nine, it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So now think about who's writing this. Right? This is Peter, who's walked with Jesus, who's seen Jesus perform his miracles and healings. Right? Like we said at the beginning, he's an apostle. Uh, he was there in the garden, cut off a dude's ear when Jesus was arrested. Like Peter has been with Jesus. But what's amazing is he's writing about his recipients of the letter. And he says, hey, you've never seen him but you love him. You, you don't see him right now, but you, you love him. And it's, this is us. Right? We've never seen Jesus. We don't see Jesus now, but the promise and all that, that Peter's writing is that one day we will see Jesus. If you are in Christ, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, one day you will see Jesus. And according to Peter, that fills us with Joy that is inexpressible. Right? To, to know that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, trial, loss, persecution, whatever it looks like and whatever form that takes in your life, to know that, that one day when you get to be with Jesus, that makes the things of this world as significant and heavy and weighty and difficult as they are. And they just, they just take on a different uh, a, a different place when you know that, man, I have eternity with Jesus, my Savior, ahead of me. And I, this is what um, the author of Hebrews writes, 11, Hebrews 11, chapter 1. He says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Right? This is what Peter's writing here, these last couple of verses. The by faith, we are assured, certain, confident that we will obtain the one thing that our souls need the most, salvation. That no matter what life looks like in a fallen world with all the, the pain and tragedy and suffering that comes, by faith, we are assured that we will obtain the one thing we need the most, and that is salvation. Right, that's, the, that's the outcome, is what he says. It's the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls, so long as we suffer well and persevere and endure. Right, we said at the beginning, you, it's not a matter of if, but when you experience suffering. And in the same way, it's, it's not a matter of, if you're in Christ, it's not a matter of, of if you will obtain the fullness of salvation, but it's you will. You will obtain the fullness of your salvation. So long as you endure and persevere and trust and cling to the Lord. So here's, here's kind of where I want to end us this morning. Um, let me be straight with you. Sermons on suffering are hard. Right? I'm like, I'm a happy guy. Right? I like to goof around, have fun. And so when you get to this idea of suffering, like that's a weighty, Heavy thing to talk about. But at the end of the day, like part of my job as your pastor is to, 
is to prepare you to suffer well. Again, that's not the most encouraging thing in the world, but that's part of my job responsibility is to help you, even now, maybe before you hit that, to be confident of of all this that we've just talked about so that when that day comes for you, when the phone call comes from you, when the diagnosis comes for you, when whatever it is comes from you, that that you'll be able to, to recount all these things that we've just talked about, right? That there's security in my identity, who God, who God has called me to be as his child. There's, um, and there's joy that can be found in suffering. There's, these are things that, that it's good for you to know before you get there. So here's, I kind of said this earlier. Here's what suffering's going to do. It's, it's going to draw us near to God. Or it's going to drive us away in despair. Right, when, when, the, the, when the dark the dark days come, right, all of us are going to kind of trend in one of two directions. You're going to cling to the Lord because He's the only one that is sufficient, the only one that can uh, sustain you, or you're going to be driven away in despair because all of a sudden everything that you've like, found your, your footing on, your foundation on, has been swept away. And so what I just want to encourage you with this morning is all this that Peter just said, right? That there's, there's security in your identity as God's beloved child. Right? There is hope in your future. Beyond the circumstances in this world, there is hope in your future. There's joy that can be found in suffering because it is light and momentary and because and the Lord is doing something in it. And there is assurance for your faith. Keep the faith, endure, persevere, and you will, assuredly, you will obtain salvation of your soul, the fullness of it. I mean, in a sense, you, 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 if you're in Christ, you are saved now and you are being saved, but you have not yet fully experienced the fullness of that, but you will. But you will. Your faith in Christ is this is kind of the title of today's sermon that I forgot to mention at the front. Faith is guaranteed deliverance. Is what it is. Right? Maybe you're delivered in this world from your suffering, but maybe you're not. But no matter what, faith in Christ means guaranteed deliverance. And that is the ground to stand on in your season of suffering. Right? The, the other things are temporary. Health Temporary. Money, temporary. All those things are temporary. But faith in Christ is your ground to stand on in your suffering. All right. You guys bow your heads and pray with me. Father, I come to you this morning. Um, just a heavy word, a heavy, heavy topic, but those are good for our hearts. And Lord, we trust that you know what you're doing. Um, it's good for us to, to know in advance how to live when, when our season of suffering comes. And so I pray, Father, that, um, that your word this morning would not have fallen on deaf ears, mine included, mine included, that we would, when those moments come, when we get the phone call, when we get the diagnosis, Lord, I, I pray that in that season we would be reminded that 
um, that you have not forsaken us, that you're doing something, that you are at work, or that it's not meaningless. So help us to not, uh, help us to not draw away from you in despair or, or, or run away in despair, but Lord, help us to lean all the more into you because you are good, you are sovereign, Lord, you have provided for us our deepest need, and that is the salvation of our souls. So, Lord, help us to persevere, to endure, to trust, to cling to you. Lord, that we might experience what we need the most. That is salvation. That is to be in your presence for all of eternity. So, Father, I pray that you would minister to us this morning. For those that are in a season of suffering right now, I pray that you would comfort them in a way that only you can, that you would provide peace that and transcends our understanding. Lord, for those that that maybe have experienced suffering in the past, I pray that they would be able to look back at that and see, um, see your good hand at work, even though in the moment it was difficult, and maybe it's still difficult to even think back on it. I pray that they would be able to see that, uh, that you were at work in some way. And then, Lord, for, for all of us who will experience suffering in the future, Lord, help us to just trust you, to cling to you, to draw near to you. Lord, we love you. We pray. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.